Uh, If you have your Bibles, hopefully you do have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14, 13, 14. We'll actually start in in chapter 13 together and uh, move through our time. We're going to be talking about a guy uh, maybe you're familiar with. His name is Lot, and uh, maybe you're not, but that's who we're going to talk about today. Now, um, coming to this message, I kind of been struggling um, going through these chapters of the Bible um, just with, with what God's been pressing in on me. And, and in my life, um, I don't know where you are, but I know in my life I, I've struggled with different things and different places and different times. Um, I had a great childhood. I don't know if, if you can speak to that in your life. I know for me I had a great childhood. I have amazing parents. I actually had said I wasn't going to say that in the first service, but I'm saying it anyway. My parents were great parents. They made great sacrifices for me and my two older brothers. They invested in our lives. They were there for us, people that we could count on uh, and still do and still can count on them in my life. However, I realized for me there were some things that, that I struggled with. And I mentioned last week, one of the things that I did pretty well, I'm the youngest of three kids, and one of the things I did pretty well was that I learned from my brother's mistakes. And, and I don't know if you're in that category that you learn from your brother's mistakes or your sister's mistakes, and you could kind of figure out um, the things that really um, got them in trouble, and if you avoided those things, you didn't get in quite as much trouble. And I did pretty good with that. My brother's I shared with you last week on Mother's Day that uh, my brothers considered me to be spoiled, and it really wasn't that I was spoiled, although if you're the youngest kid, everybody always says that about you, that you were spoiled. It wasn't that I was spoiled, I just figured out um, what buttons not to push on my parents. It was like, I, just, I don't have to do that, and I'm good. And, um, but even though I could learn from their mistakes, one of the things that I've struggled with and still struggle with today in my life is that I don't always learn from my own mistakes. And I don't know if that's you. I don't know if that's maybe part of how you would describe yourself and that you you don't learn from your own mistakes. Maybe it's really easy for you to look at somebody else's life and somebody else's problems and you can go, I'm not quite there and I can learn from their mistakes. But then you find yourself repeating the same pattern in the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. And you, you kind of sit there and you go, why is that? Why do I repeat the same mistakes? Why do I have this pattern of behavior? My wife and I were talking about this just the other day, how there are people, and where are some of those people? Um, you, you get into that pattern in life where you repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. And for some of us, maybe that mistake is a financial mistake, and you've never been able to figure out how to um, actually spend the amount of money that you actually make in a month without having to borrow it. And you're trying to figure out that financial piece, but then you keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. It's one of those things where in your mind, you know what the right thing to do is, maybe. Um, You know that you shouldn't borrow money or you shouldn't go out to dinner and pay for it on a credit card. But in our mind, we sit there so many times and we think, ah, I just, I want this and I want this and I want this. And so we try to figure out a way to get what we want. And so you might borrow money to buy a car or to buy a computer or to buy these things. In your mind, you're justifying it going, well, I can afford another $50 a month. It's not that big of a deal. And then it's like, then it's the next thing. It's like, well, you know, I, I know I get paid next week, so I'll go ahead and, and, and 
go out to dinner um, this week. I'll put it on a credit card, but I'll just pay it off later. And we make those same mistakes when it comes to that. Or maybe it's not finances for you. Maybe you're doing fine financially, but maybe you keep making the same mistakes in relationships. Uh, maybe you find yourself in, in difficult relationships or difficult friendships and you can't figure out, maybe your friends continue to, to pull you down and you can't quite figure out a way to, to lift them up. And so you've, but you've made that mistake and that's a pattern in your life where it's repeated over and over and over and over again. And when we look at Scripture, I've found that in my life, when I'm looking at Scripture, that I can find people that are learning from their mistakes. I think Abraham's one of those people. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago in the midst of conflict. I believe Abraham was one of those guys that was learning from his mistakes. If you remember, in Genesis chapter 12, um, we were there a few weeks ago, um, he was so obedient, and he was like, yes, God, I'll sell all, or I'll pack up all of my possessions, and I'll follow you, even though I don't know where I'm going, and he did it, and a lot of us go, man, I want to be that kind of person. I want to have that kind of faith in my life, and I want to do it, and so we, we go, that's what I want, and then, you know, he makes this great mistake in, in Genesis chapter 12, where he, he, a famine hits the land, and he decides, now, wait a minute, I've got to, I've got to do something. I've got to figure this problem out for myself. And so the famine hits the land. What are we going to do? All right, let's pack up our stuff and let's go down to Egypt. And we're going to go down to Egypt and we're going to figure this thing out. They've got food down there, so let's go. So he packs up, he goes, and on the way, if you remember the story, he, he looks at his wife and he says, listen, um, you're an attractive woman. Um, I use the term hot. She's hot. And um, so I need you to do me a favor, okay, because you're so good looking um, they're going to want you to, to be um, their wife. They're going to want to take you. And, and, and if they realize that you and I are married, then they're going to kill me. So why don't you just tell people that you're, you're my sister? It's only a partial lie, right? That's what we say we justify. It's only a partial lie. And so he does that. And so sure enough, they, they exactly, it plays out exactly the way that he wanted to. She lies. And he accumulates all of this wealth because of the lie that they basically give him in order to have her. And it happens. And then it's like a plague hits Pharaoh's house, and he calls um, Moses in, or not, he calls Abraham in. He says, Abraham, what are you doing? Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you bring this down on my household? Take your wife and get out of here and take all this stuff with you. And he accumulates great wealth. But you see, he learned from his mistakes. So what he did is he left there. He goes back to the place that he had last built an altar where he had last called on God. And then we see in chapter 13 of Genesis, this man of faith again. It's like, here he is. And he calls Lot in and there's this thing going on. But their, their wealth had caused some conflict in their life. So the question becomes, in our lives, are we learning from our mistakes? Are we learning from past experiences? Are we learning from the difficult things that have come our way? And, and here's kind of the big picture, and I'll, I'll frame it this way for you. Uh, you can write it down. There's not an outline uh, in your notes, but I do have a couple of PowerPoints for you that you can kind of write a few things down. And here it is. Big picture today that we want to talk about is um, lessons from the past need to last. Lessons from the past need to last. And here's, here's why this needs to be true in our life. Because you're going to make mistakes. Uh, maybe you don't know that. You kind of look at me like, really? I'm not going to make any mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make the wrong decision somewhere along the way. And one of the greatest things that we can do in our life is to learn from our mistakes to learn from our 
past experiences, the personal ones. Like I told you kind of in, in my opening example, of it's really, it was easier for me to look at my brothers and go, like one of my brothers, and he'll kill me when he hears me say this, he failed biology in the ninth grade. Um, sorry, buddy. Um, and it didn't go well for him because then he had to go to summer school and then he had to do all this. And do, so what do you think in my mind? What do you realize? Don't fail biology in the ninth grade. That's a pretty good lesson to learn. I learned lessons from my brothers um, in relationships that they had with other girls. And it's like, I learned some lessons. I'm like, don't do that. That's not a good thing. I learned from that. Now, I made a lot of the other mistakes that you, should, you shouldn't make, and it's one of those things where I didn't learn from them, so you, you kind of repeat that pattern. But the reality of it is, you've got to learn, and I've got to learn from my own mistakes and allow lessons from my past to allow those lessons that I learned to last in my life. As I was growing up, my, my parents believed in um, discipline. My parents believed in the verse that says that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. That's in the Bible. And, uh, and so I received my fair share of licks growing up. I don't know if any of you did that, uh, but I was sent to my room on more than one occasion. And I loved the, the phrase from my mom. You knew it was coming. You knew it didn't go well for you when your mom says, wait until your dad gets home. Didn't you, did anybody else hear that phrase growing up? Anybody else? I did. I learned that phrase growing up. Wait till your dad gets home. And I always knew that it didn't go well for me. Um, but the, the problem that I experienced was about a month later, I would, do, I would repeat the behavior. And then I'd hear the phrase again, wait until your dad gets home. And sure enough, my dad would get home, and I, you know, he would send me to the room at first. I always prayed that he would forget that I was in there, but that never happened. Um, he would come in, and, you know, we would have this conversation about the things that I did that were wrong, and, you know, then I'd get a whipping. And then you knew it was really bad when he told you to go to his closet and pick out the belt of your choosing that you were going to get whipped with. But um, you've got to allow these lessons. You've got to allow the lessons and the failures and the things that you go through in your life, you, you've got to learn from them. You've got to allow them to define you and allow them to help you and allow you to, uh, to be able to apply truth to your life and stop repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again. And the reality of it is this morning as we look at Lot's life, as we look at his life, just a glimpse of it this morning, um, and then we're going to kind of deal with Abraham a little bit next week, and then we're going to skip a few chapters and get to the rest of Lot's life. Lot wasn't really good at learning lessons and allowing them to last in his life. There was always this immediate piece, like, I'm going to learn this right now, and sure, I'm going to change and modify my behavior, and I'm going to change it a little bit. But he, he always went back to repeating the same thing in his life. We don't know that much about him, but it was one of the things that you can look at in his life. He didn't learn the lessons. He didn't learn the lessons and allow them to be a lasting part of his life. And so this morning, my challenge as we kind of journey through this is going to be that you and I would be a people who are allowing these lessons from our past to last in our life so that we're learning from them and we're growing from them and we're not making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. In Genesis chapter 13, we're going to get to 14, and I'm going to try to be brave again in this service and actually read chapter 14 to you, but you'll see why in a minute. But in Genesis chapter 13, you're introduced to, or not introduced to, but you're told about Lot. 
You're told about the conflict that he and Abraham experienced, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But I didn't really touch on Lot. I didn't really kind of talk about him and his life. I just, I just talked about the conflict, and we were talking about resolving conflict and working through conflict and the things that you need in your life. I want to talk specifically about um, Lot and his decisions and the lessons that he really should have learned and could have learned uh, from the journey that he took. So uh, pick up with me in chapter 13, verse 8. And we're just going to read 8 through 13. I'll read you, follow along, and then we'll talk about it uh, for a few minutes and then move into chapter 14. It says this, uh, Moses is writing this, looking back. He says, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. And, and again, I just, just kind of to catch you up in case you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we're talking there's conflict. They had both accumulated this wealth. Their herdsmen were beginning to compete for who had the best land and could um, have their herds out there grazing on the pastures and those types of things. And so um, Abraham, in his wisdom, began to see there's going to be an issue. It's not an issue today with he and Lot, but he said there's going to be an issue. So he calls Lot together and says, listen, let's not allow this to become something that it does doesn't need to become between your men and my men, and then it would become a you versus me kind of thing. So let's deal with this conflict. Because we're brothers, we're family, we need to deal with this. And so that's Abram, and that's his wisdom. And we see his faith as he basically now moves into to allowing Lot um, to have first choice. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I didn't like doing that growing up. I didn't like somebody else to have the first choice. My kids right now, my twins, three years old, they fight over who gets in the bath first, and then they fight over who gets out of the bath first, right? So, I mean, first choice, I mean, Abram's going, okay, Lot, you go ahead and pick. We're in our, in our human nature, we're going, no, man, I, it's all about me. I want to pick first, and I want to be first. I want to win and get out of my way, uh, for those of you that are in my way. And, but Lot, and Abraham's like, no, let's not do that. He says this, is not the whole land, verse 9, before you, Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. And if to the right, then I will go to the left. Isn't that great? I just love it. I just, just for a minute, soak in Abram for a minute. Just soak that in. It's like, what a great guy. And, and he does. He, he's becoming this man of faith, becoming, learning from his mistakes, becoming this man of faith, going, I trust God enough. God promised me the land. He didn't promise a lot. He promised it to me and my descendants. But I'm going to stand here. I'm going to give Lot first choice, first dibs. I'm going to give it right here to him. So what does Lot do? Here's, here's the big thing. Lot, verse 10. This is where you and I are. And see, I would, I would venture to say that most of us in our life, in the context of this story, are more like Lot than we are like Abraham. Most of us in our life are more like Lot than we are Abraham. You want to be Abraham. You want to be that person of faith. You want to have all the promises that God has promised you. But the reality of it is, you and I find ourselves becoming more and more like Lot in our life. Part of it is because we don't allow those lessons from the past to last in our life. That's part of it. But part of it is because we're of the flesh. And so we like Lot. Listen to this. This is so good. Well, it's bad, but yet it's so rich. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all of the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Now, okay, don't read ahead. Stop reading. Stop it. You guys start, you keep doing that. You got to stop doing that. So he lifts up his eyes. The reason I don't want you to read is because 
um, Moses interjects something right there for you. But he lifts up his eyes and he sees that all of this valley is well watered. And then it goes on to say it's well watered like the garden of the Lord. That's one description. And then it's well watered like this land going down to Egypt and Zoar. It's well watered like that. Now Moses interjects something. He says this was before Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's not important. It's, it, it is important because, let's face it, if Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed and Lot was looking at it, it would not have been nearly as enticing. Right? I mean, the whole fire from heaven, brims, it wouldn't have been all that cool to look at. Okay, But, but Moses is interjecting that he wants you to see how beautiful and how lush and how green this area was. And so he describes it as the garden, and he describes it as the land going down to Egypt. Now that is a great picture for us to understand. Why? Because it's this peace that is enticing to the eyes. It's enticing to the eyes, and so the flesh begins to go, well, I want the best land. In his selfishness, Lot's going, well, if I'm comparing the right and to the left, because that's where Abraham had told him to look, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. So he's looking and going, well, this is better than this. And so I'll take this. I'll take what's good. And so here's, here's what I want you to see in the context of this. When you talk about lessons from the past, You've got to start talking about the world and the influence that the world has in your life. And I would simply phrase it this way. Watch out for the world. Watch out for the world. Watch what happens in Lot's life. So he he sees the land. It says, This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all of the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus, and, and I don't know, this, this to me just continues to stick out in my mind, thus they separated from each other. I, if I were you, now I'm not you, and I don't highlight your Bible, I would underline that. I think that's a really big deal. Thus, they separated from each other. Verse 12 says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, listen to this, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. You got to pay attention. I know, this is so exciting. Um, I can tell you guys are so jazzed. So Lot picks up all of his stuff, and he starts going and starts, that's what he says, he, so he, he would live in the cities of the valley, and he would live in the cities, and he would live in the cities. But what it tells us is this, he got to the place where he finally put his tent right outside of the city of Sodom. Now, if you grew up in the church, and even if you haven't, You've probably heard about how bad Sodom and Gomorrah are. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Exceedingly wicked. 
And so you know, you know what's happening in Lot's life. When, when you're watching this, you're watching the progression in there. I hope you are. You're watching as he slowly moves through the cities, moved through the cities of the valley. That's what it tells us. Till he got right outside of the city of Sodom. Right outside of the city. And he places his tent there. And that's where you leave Lot in Genesis chapter 13. It says this in verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. And my, my translation says exceedingly. Exceedingly. And they're not just wicked exceedingly. They're also, in case being wicked exceedingly didn't give you the better description, they're also sinners against the Lord. They're also, so, so here he is. Watch out for the world. You got you to see what's happening there. He moves closer to the world. He moves a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. He wants to get like right on the edge. It's like a lot of Christians, you know them. You know some of those Christians. You, maybe you, this is you. Maybe this is you. Like You want to get as close to the world as you possibly can. It's like you, you want to give up everything that Jesus has called you to do, and you want to just bump right up against the world, but you still want to call yourself a Christian. And so you, you get a little bit closer, and you get a little bit closer. Maybe you, you push the limit a little bit more, and you push the limit a little bit more. Why? Because, friends, maybe you don't know this, or maybe it's because you don't want to acknowledge it. The world is fun. The world is enticing. I would use the word that the, the world is luring to us. I'm, I'm not a fisherman. Is anybody in here like big-time fishermen like you? You got the tackle box full of lures and all that kind of stuff. Phil, thanks, man. There's a few of you. Um, uh, in the first service, I knew there were some that were really like big-time fishermen, but I, that's how I look at it is, is it, you're being lured by the world. Now, I don't fish. Um, somebody asked me to go fishing a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the last time I really went fishing. Like, I throw a, a rod into the, the pond at my dad's house every once in a while when I'm out there with my kids. Sometimes I should just throw the rod in there. But, uh, I, I, but I don't get it. It's like I want, you know, like I'll use a worm or whatever. But, I mean, those guys that are like really fishermen, like they've got the tackle box. And whatever it is that they're fishing for, like they've got the specific lure that they have. Okay, so if you're going to go bass fishing, you've got this specific thing. Or if you're going to go out on a boat and go deep sea fishing, I mean, there's whole other things. Because what? I mean, you know what attracts the certain kind of fish. Well, here's the reality for us. Maybe you don't know this, but you should. Is that the enemy knows what's luring to you. The enemy knows where your weaknesses are. We talked about this way back going through Ephesians chapter 6, right? Uh, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the, the principle, the powers that are at war in this present age. We wrestle against that. He knows what's luring to you. He knows what it is. For some of you, it's relationships. For some of you, it's, it's, it's lust. I mean, that's just something you just deal with day in and day out. Some of you, it's that battle with lust and pornography. For some of you, it's finances. For some of you, it's, it's um, treating people with respect. For some of you, it's just gossip, the need to make yourself feel good. But I'm telling you what, the world has this lure for us. This lure, it's, it's out there and it's just dangling us. And what we do is we want to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. I mean, you ever realize, maybe you guys fishing, have you ever caught like the same fish 
over and over and over again. Has that ever happened to you, Phil? You caught the same fish. You knew it was the same fish. Alan's back there shaking his head. So it happens from time to time. Don't you ever wonder just when will that fish wise up? I mean, the, the dumb fish... It's, gone, and it's, it's like the lure's there. I mean, it's, it's shining, and he's under the water, and it's shining and sparkling in the sunlight, and it's like, I gotta have it! And he goes, and he gets hooked again. And for some of you, that's what the lure of the world is like. It's, it, you're there, and it's like, it's shiny, and it's bright, and it's there, and I gotta have it, and I gotta have it, and you get hooked. One more time. One more time. The world is luring to us. That's what's happening with Lot in Genesis 13. It's luring. It's like, come on, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Go with me to Genesis 14. I'm going to try to read this. There are nine kings that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, and it's not kings like King Charles IV or King James the Ninth, or anybody like that. I mean, they got to pick these weird names, in the, you know, back in Genesis. And so it's nine names. My wife laughed at me last night as I read these out loud trying to get ready. Listen to these. You'll, you'll catch on in a minute. You'll catch on. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? And it came about, verse, chapter 14, verse 1. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariot, king of Elisar, Ketelomar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim. Got all that? Yeah, you go home and read this out loud yourselves. Listen to what happens. Um, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shimbar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoer. All these cities as allies, uh, all these came as allies to the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Um, Twelve years they served they had served Ketelomar, but the 13th year they rebelled. Okay, so you've got all the kings listed. There's four kings, then there's five kings. And basically what happened is, for 12 years, the five kings, um, including the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, those five kings had served faithfully these other four kings who had an alliance. Okay, and so they're, they're serving faithfully. But after the 12th year, they decided, listen, we don't want to pay taxes to these people anymore. We don't want to serve them faithfully anymore. We want to be independent. We're going to form our own alliance um, between ourselves, and we're going to rebel against these four kings. And that's what's going on here. Now, this story, until we get to the end of it, almost seems irrelevant. You've got these kings mentioned, and what you realize, they don't want to serve these ones anymore, so they basically go to battle. In the 14th year, in this, in this chapter... Uh, verse 5. In the 14th year, Ketelamar and the kings that were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtoreth Karnam and the, and the Zuzim of Ham and Emim in Shavav Kiriathim and the Horites in Mount Seir as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Misfat, uh, Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who lived in Hazanzan. Tamar. You get all that? It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you're reading this going, what's going on? They're fighting. That's what's happening. But listen to what winds up happening. And the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Admon, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela 
came out and they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Siddim, verse 9, against Ketelamars, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariot, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, bad, bad, bad for them. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. And now we get to why this matters to us. They also took Lot. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed. Now listen to this description because this is where, where, why it's so significant when I look at it. For he was living in Sodom. You see, in chapter 13, when he looked up his, and saw the valley, he moved a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer to where he finally put his tent right outside of the city, a city that Moses tells us was an exceedingly wicked city and sin- sinners. That's bad. I mean, that's not just bad. I mean, it's bad, bad. And Lot had moved closer to the place where we find him in chapter 14 where he's in the city. You see, what happens in our life is the world for us is enticing and it's luring us in and it's luring us in and it's luring us in and there comes a point, there comes a point where it's like we're in. There comes a point where the world is just swarming around us. I started thinking about, could you imagine being in the midst of this, being Lot in the city, and you find out all this stuff going on. You've got the four kings against the five kings, and what's happening is the, the swarming that's happening in that context. And I, I started to feel, for me, just completely overwhelmed by the world. Like the world is just swarming around us and it's everywhere we turn and we can't, we can't seem to get away from it, can we? It's everywhere. I mean, whatever you're watching on television, it's the world. Whatever kind of newspaper article you might pick up or whatever magazine article you may read or those types of things, it's, it's always this message that's branded by the world and the world's telling you all of these things and it, there comes a point, there comes a point where you start to buy into it. You start to buy into, I can't be happy unless I've got this. You start to buy into, I can't be happy unless I've got this relationship, or or, I'm not going to attract this or have that. We start to buy into all of the lies, and all of a sudden, before we know it, boom. We're there. And we are so far into the world. We were just like Lot. We got a little bit closer, and we got a little bit closer, and we got a little bit closer before long. I mean, we're just in the thick of it. My challenge to us is watch out for the world. Because it's, it's everywhere. It's where, it's where you turn, it's where you look, it's what you're reading, it's what you're watching. And these messages, and they're branded, and they're geared. I mean, they're geared towards you. I mean, I, I, I mean, we battle this in our home. I mean, my kids are watching TV, and they're hearing these things, or this song, and I've got I've to kind of get my filter on. I've got to go, no, you're, you're, you don't need to listen to that song. That's the wrong message. And they're like, well, they, and, and they're so young, they don't even know it. But it's the wrong message. And we've got to get to where we're watching out 
for how the world is beginning to influence your life. Stop getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer because what happens is while it's alluring to you and it's luring you in and then before you know you're overwhelmed by it, man, then it happens. They took Lot and all of his possessions. And guess what? That's not just like, take him. That's like, we own you. You're ours. And he's in captivity right here, right now. And so that's the slow progression when you're in the world. That's the slow, you get closer, you get closer, you get in there, and then all of a sudden you're just completely in captivity to the world, to the lies, to the things they're saying that, ah, oh, you'll never measure up, or you've got to have this, you've got to have that, you've got to own that. Now you just need a little bit bigger house, or you need a little bit nicer car. And, and you're sitting there going, no, that's not us. Listen, I live in that world too. I'm not, I'm not like I can't be against it. I mean, I live in this world. I mean, it's that, that lure. I mean, right now, I mean, yeah, sure, I would love to not drive a car that rattles every time you go over a bump. Did anybody else have that? I mean, it just rattles. I mean, just, I mean, it's like, you know, I'm pulling up for carpool, and I think they're making fun of me kind of thing. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's just, it just rattles, and you're like, man, if I could just write, if I could just have a different, maybe a nicer car. We just do that. Well, I mean, to top that off, I mean, that's my car. So then my wife's air conditioner goes out. So guess what? She gets my car, the one that rattles, and I got to drive the one without an air conditioner. And it's just like, man, it's, that's the battle. You sit there and you go, I, I just, this is it. This is it for me. It's the battle that we face. Now, wouldn't it be easy just to go and sign a paper and finance a new car? Yeah, you can afford that. That's what the world tells us. The world tells our young people, right, just, just another relationship. If you just do this, you'll be happier. If you just, you, you compromise on this principle, you compromise on this, and everything's going to be okay. Businesses, you've got to be successful, so you've got to compromise. If you compromise this way, and then you'll make more money, your bottom line increases, and things go better for you. So if you just compromise on that. Taxes, oh, there's a big one right now, right? I mean, IRS is all up in the news right now. All right, and so some of us are like, man, I don't need paying taxes. Can't even trust the IRS anymore. And, and so it's like one of those things where you just, you just compromise a little bit on your taxes. Nobody's going to know. It's not going to matter. Just go ahead and do it. Nobody's going to care. world just gnaws at you, and you're like, hey, it's a little more money. If I, you know, if I just kind of lie about this little write-off, maybe a little, I get a little bit more money, and everything's going to be good for me. The world is coming at you. Watch out. For the world. It took Lot into captivity. Last part of this is you got to build the right relationships. I know it's been up there for a while. You've been trying to think of when I was going to get to it. I wish that everybody in this room had an Uncle Abraham. You see, I, I said it before, I, I really believe most of us are more like Lot. But most of us need an Uncle Abraham in our life. So let me summarize what happens from here, if I can. 
word gets back to Abram that Lot has been taken captive by the kings. So Abram takes the 318 trained men who were born in his house, and he goes after Lot. And he wins. And Scripture tells us that he comes back with Lot and the women and the possessions. And when I say that we need Uncle Abraham's in our life, I mean, friends, we need to be building the right relationships in our life. We need to be building the right relationships in our not the destructive kind of relationships, not the tear down people kind of relationships. Because I'll be honest with you, we got enough of those. Can I get an amen? We got enough people around that want to tear us down, to drag us down, to pull us down, that want to be the weight around us. We've got to be a people who are building the right kind of relationships, the God kind of relationships, the gospel Jesus kind of relationships, so that we will have Uncle Abraham's in our life, so that when we start to go towards the world, when we start being drawn into the world, when we are completely overwhelmed and held captive by the world, that we have Uncle Abraham's in our life who will come after us. People who will say, stop doing that. Stop this destructive behavior. Stop building the wrong kind of relationships and build the right kind of relationships. And and what I mean by this, we believe that this Bible is the very breath of God. We believe that. I believe that. I believe this is God-inspired. He breathed it. Well, guess what he tells us a little bit later in the Bible from Genesis? What's he say about older women and older men in the context of Titus chapter 2? Older men, older women, older meaning meaning more more mature. Okay, more mature believers are to get into the life of immature believers to walk with them on the journey. So it says, older women train younger women to be workers from home, to be lovers of their husbands, to be all of these things. It says, older women train the youngers. Older men train the younger men. And and friends, what I would say is it's the peace that's missing in the life of the church today. It's the peace that's missing for us building the right kind of relationships. Because you and I have been Christians for years and years and years and years. Most of us have. Some of you maybe not even be Christians in this room. And that's, that's okay today. It's not okay to walk out of here and be that way. But where we're at is going, we're, I, I was saved when I was five years old. That was 32 years ago in my life. And we have, you and I have responsibilities to get into the right relationships and people and pour our lives into other people's lives to help them to learn the lessons that are going to last in their life, to talk through successes and to talk through failures and to be present in somebody's life and to pour our life out into somebody else's life so that we're building the right relationships and we become an Uncle Abraham in the life of somebody else. An Uncle Abraham that's going to go out and go after people instead of just going, you know, that's not really any of my business. I'm sorry. You're a part of the family of God. You're a son or daughter of the God Most High. 
It, it is your responsibility. It is your business to build the right relationships and pour your life into somebody else's life. It, it is. It's your business. It's your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's going to be messy, and it's going to be time-consuming, and, and it, sometimes it's going to take every ounce of energy and effort that you have. But friends, let me just be really clear. That's the way that Jesus has called us to disciple people. That's the way that Jesus modeled it for us, is to walk on the journey with other people to become an Uncle Abraham in somebody else's life. One of the great failures in the church is that we are not investing in one another's lives like God has called us to. And what does Abraham do? He gets his 318 men and he goes after Lot. And this is, this is it right here, verse 16. He brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. Who, who are you being an Uncle Abraham to? I know that, that sounds kind of weird and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious with it, but I think to me, when I'm looking at this, I mean, he's, I, the context is always referring to Lot as his nephew, and I mean, do, are, you, are you an Uncle Abraham to somebody? M maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're a Lot, and you're like, I, I need somebody to come after me. I need somebody to come get me. The world has completely overwhelmed me. I keep building the wrong relationships, and I, I'm so far in debt, I don't know what to do, and I, I'm just, I, I'm, I, I just don't even know. And I'll bet, I'll bet there's a lot of people in this room that are just like that. And you're a lot going, I need an Abraham. I need an Abraham. Now one of the things that we learn from Lot, and why I say kind of the big idea is lessons from the past need to last. You see, we come to Genesis chapter 19, and what we find in Lot is where does he wind up again? Sodom. Guess who comes after him again? Uncle Abraham. And that's where I, I'm looking at this going. That's what God's calling us to do. Get into somebody else's world. Get into somebody else's life. Go after them as they get closer to the world and closer to the world and closer to the world. Become an Uncle Abraham so that you together can allow the lessons from the past in your life to have lasting effect for you. We're going to close our time this morning. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and um, our praise team is going to come up, and they're going to sing a song that I asked them to learn about a month ago. And they, they've done it so beautifully. I can't um, just say that enough for them. They, they've worked hard. It's a difficult song, but it's a song entitled, Give Me Faith. Give me faith. It's basically saying to do what you say. Give me faith. 
And it's that really great picture. And that's, that's what I'm asking. You don't have to stand up. Our ushers are going to come forward. They're going to begin moving about to receive your offerings. But the prayer is give you faith. Would you sit there and would you pray that God would give you faith, that he would bring people to your mind that you need to walk with on the journey of being a follower of Jesus? Because it's, it's the greatest journey, and it's far better than what the world has to offer. And friends, there's just people that need to see that in somebody. And maybe you're that somebody. Maybe you're that Abraham to invest in a lot in this world. So that's my invitation to you, is that you, you pray. Right where you're at, you don't have to stand up, but you just begin praying that God would bring somebody in your life that you can begin to invest life with. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time in your word today. God, thank you for the challenge of watching out for the world. God, the challenge of, of building the right relationships. Lord, a lot of us build the wrong relationships. So help us to build the right relationships. God, I pray that as, 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 they just, as we listen to this song, God, that it would speak to our hearts. God, that it would challenge us, that it would move in us. Father, as we give today, as we give in response to who you are, God, I pray that you would use our offerings, God, for your glory, for your kingdom, and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.